Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Busby Babe podcast. I am Colin here again with Polly and Nathan. How's it going, fellas? It's good. I have a feeling I'm going to be really upset in like sometime in the next 20, 34 minutes when Tottenham playing extreme Mourinho ball get a breakthrough against West Ham. Right. We are recording this on the Tuesday. Uh, Maine United play tomorrow. Uh, Tottenham currently playing out. It's still nil-nil, right? Like, yeah. But the song go- goal was different. They're actually starting the to get out. shots. Right. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed West Ham can hold on there. Uh, Moise, see what he can do against this one. Yeah, what uh, he ever I'm doing fine, by the way. Yeah, hey, Nathan, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so we are back talking about an actual Manchester United game that has happened. Uh, 1-1 draw at Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Bruno penalty late, won by Pogba, salvages a point. Um, but given some of the other chances that we had in this game, we probably could have gotten three points. Um, so we're going to review that game a little bit, uh, talk, talk about the squad rotation that we've seen from Ali, um, and then we're going to preview Sheffield United before getting to some fan questions in part two. So this 1-1 draw is not the worst result in the world, but I think given the hype that there was around Manchester United coming back, uh, this was a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow when it happened. Yeah, I think I'd like to go back to the concept of Manchester United's return as opposed to the actual reality of Manchester United's return. (laughs) Um, You remember it was uh, just seven days ago. I was like, yeah, it's going to be 3-0. Um, said it with my chest, and then I took it back. And aren't we glad I took it back? Because we probably wouldn't have even gotten the penalty had I not uh, showed some contrition there. Um, that was a weird one to watch because it was. It seemed like you had everything that you wanted. We were having possession. Um, for the most part, we had people that we wanted to see on the field. Uh, granted, Pogba wasn't on there. Um, but... More on that later. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just one of those things like, it, I think the result should have been better. I don't think we necessarily lined up the way we should have. Um, I think Ali could have done a better job of anticipating that how Mourinho was going to play. Um, and I just don't know that we were set up for it. Having Fred and McTominay in that midfield against that kind of setup felt a little redundant. And you saw it in the first half. Tottenham only had like 30... It's a 32, 34% possession, but they outshot United. And it was almost like what's now kind of become a classic United game against maybe City. You know, we we were facing ourselves in, in a way, and uh, it was an awkward first half. Second half was a little bit better, but, you know, I'd, you'd like to think that we could have picked up three points in that game, uh, and they didn't. So I think I'll chalk it up to having three months off with basically no preseason, uh, but it was still weird just in general, because I think to a certain degree, we did hype it up too much. You're a lot more polite than I am. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's exactly what I said was going to happen was everything was going United's way that I was so overconfident that it was going to be one, one. And it was so glaring right from the out when Tottenham were just sitting back. And I, Nathan, you said maybe he could have done a bit better of a job of predicting how Mourinho was going to play, and maybe you could have. You know, uh, he went he went full Mourinho, and I don't think people necessarily saw him doing that. Um, 
I mean, look, he did mid-February. Tottenham had 45% possession against Aston Villa. Um, so I guess he was trying to go that way, but then 52% against Chelsea, uh, 65 against Wolves, 54 against Burnley. Those are teams that are way better at, you know, not sitting um, at giving away the ball. And, and that Wolves game also was at home. This was at home, but you don't have to play in front of the fans. You don't have that pressure to really go and get get on the ball and, and do that. So, yeah, maybe Ali could have done a bit better of job of saying, hey, you know, in the last few games, Jose's been trying to get back towards, towards Jose Ball. He went with, you know, the team. I didn't have any problems with the team he, he selected. Obviously, I would have liked Paul Pogba to be out there. I didn't have any problem with Dan James being on the field because if you expected Tottenham to play anything like Tottenham, then it was a good selection. And the logic and the reasoning that I heard about why he chose McTominay and Fred is because McTominay and Fred were very good the first time that they played against Spurs, and they were. But let's go back to that first game where it was Mourinho's third game in charge, and he had been there for just, it was a midweek game. He'd been there for about two and a half weeks, and at the time when he came, it, there was all the talk, new Mourinho, okay, I've taken the time, recharged the batteries, but I've also taken the time to figure out what I've been doing wrong and where I need to improve. And there was this big emphasis on, like, you know, it's a new Mourinho and there's going to be more attacking football. And I, I remember tweeting and and even – we might have even – I might have even been on the podcast at the time where I said I'm really interested to see how this plays out because he's it's, it's game three. And he's made such a big emphasis on new Mourinho and playing that way that he kind of has to go to Old Trafford and play that way, even though Mourinho knows that being pragmatic and playing Mourinho ball and parking the bus is the most effective way to get a result against United, especially given the time we couldn't score against anybody that sat deep. And he didn't do that. Spurs had more of the ball. McTominay and Fred played great, but, you know, they took 47% possession. They turned it into 11 shots. Um, their XG was about a goal, which is what we had on Friday. The difference was uh, Gazaniga flubbed one that went in, and and then you add the penalty. The other difference was that McTominay played as the defensive midfielder, and Fred played as the guy who runs around and does everything and links the defense and the midfield to the attack, which is the same position that he's been playing alongside the Monumentic, and that's what's been really working since... Bruno Fernandez arrived and yesterday or Friday Solskjaer just fielded Fred as the holding midfielder and McTominay as that guy that runs around and you know McTominay started brightly there's your Tottenham breakthrough um Lucas Mora um, oh you're like six seconds ahead of me no spoilers <laughs> <laughs> oh they just scored oh hate to see it um you know McTominay started brightly in a way of like, hey, he ran all over the place and broke up play and won the ball back and he got his head in on something. But, the, you know, the whistle blew right away because apparently the ball was already out of bounds. He slid into a challenge and broke up a pass. That was all great. Every time you won the ball back, what did he do with it? Nothing. And, it, you know, I tweeted out 15 minutes into the game like McTominay was sitting deeper and someone, you know, a couple people were responding. to me. McTominay has been the best player in the game and it's it's that's. That's just how the the masses and the modern people judge midfielders is 
they look at what he's doing. Yeah, he's been running all over the field and he's been getting stuck in the challenges. So it looks like he's playing great. But what was he doing with with the ball? Nothing. And Fred wasn't either. You know, Fred was being a little bit more adventurous, but he wasn't doing much either. United couldn't get the ball from their back four to their front four. And that was entirely on the midfield. And so, yeah, at the time, I didn't have a problem with the way Solskjaer started. It was just by halfway through the first half when you had that water break and Mourinho's out there coaching his team and Solskjaer's got a chance to talk with his team, a chance to actually say, like to pull your players aside and say, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to let me change your role. You don't get chances to talk to your players like this in a normal situation until halftime. So this water break presents an opportunity to make a small tweak. And then if you don't, if those tweaks don't work at halftime, you revisit and you can make changes. He didn't make the changes. And then at halftime, he didn't make changes again, which is at at that point, once you know that Tottenham are just sitting deep and they've gotten a goal, so they are just going to park the bus even further, then you know this isn't really a game for Scott McTominay. It's more of a – you don't need two holding midfielders anymore. This isn't a game for Daniel James, and you can get him off the field. And him being slow to react to that was was bad, and that's, I think, what ultimately cost us two points because United were the fitter team and – once they, you know, once Paul Pogba and Mason Greenwood came on, they they certainly looked like they were going to get an equalizer. And once they got it, they looked like the team that was going to push on to get a win. But they ran out of time. And, and frankly, they got tired, too, in those last five-ish minutes. You know, they're all out of shape. And I think it's worth noting, too, that United, I mean, it worked exactly to the way that Jose wants teams to play him, is that they were doing all the work without having a sense of control over what they were doing. And I think we saw that with Bruno Fernandes a lot of the time in midfield as well, that there wasn't necessarily the same sort of direction. And he seemed a bit confused at times and was making decisions that were, you know, questionable, I I guess would would be a nice word. (laughs) Bruno Fernandes was so bad on Friday night. And I, when I, and I, I mean, I just, I got, um, I found out why my drinks at the bar get a little bit more diluted when I'm at the bar watching games, because when it was left to my own hands to pour the drinks, they turned out a bit stronger. Um, and anything that wasn't nailed down in my living room by the second half was at risk of being thrown across everything as I screamed. So I understood that, you know, my reactions after the game may have been a little bit irrational. So when I sat down with a clear head Monday morning and rewatched this game and I said, okay, I, Bruno Fernandez was very good in the first half or not very good in the first half, but he was the only bright spot in the first half. Um, right. He was the only one that was trying to make things happen. His decision-making was still a little questionable at best in the second half. He was so bad and his decision-making was atrocious. And we need to decide as a fan base and the media, like, what is Bruno Fernandez? Is he a good player, but nothing, you know, not a superstar? Because then, okay, you could say, all right, he isn't, you know, he is in, he needs to get used to playing with his teammates. And, okay, he, he gives the ball away a lot, but uh, he's trying to make things happen or is he the superstar and the, the, the leader of this team and everybody talk and we put out so many puff pieces about how he's come in and he's made this team his own. He wants to do this and he wants to get better and he wants to be a leader. Well, if that's the case, then your decision-making has to be better because this wasn't even, he didn't, 
his passing was 59 point something percent. That is terrible. And to sit there and be like, well, well James Winston numbers. He didn't take the opportunities when he had open passes because there were a few times where they would win the ball back in Spurs' side of the field. And I, I think maybe two or three times he would just unleash a shot. And it, one of them kind of got close, but it was still a decision he made with three people in front of him that he could have distributed to. And maybe I, I, I think one of them was when Daniel James was on the wing and he was not doing a very good job of putting the ball into the box. So maybe that was part of his decision-making. But at the same time, You've got Rashford and Martial who've kind of struggled to be involved in this game, but have had pretty good chances on target. And I think with their finishing ability as the distributing midfielder, you have to trust you have to trust them more than yourself to get the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, to a yeah. certain degree, you almost wonder if during the the last three months, because we saw those reports of like Bruno already wanting to change up his game, so that way the Premier League didn't figure him out. I just wonder if maybe he hyped a little bit too much pressure on himself and was trying to do just a little bit too much. Um, I, I mean, he that, says all the right things, you know, yeah. he, he, yeah. he kind of welcomes that, but at the same, you know, it, there is going to be an adjustment period and we saw so little from him initially. Yeah. I, I mean, in the first half he was dropping all the way back to Fred and McTominay because he had to, um, which is a telltale sign, you know, maybe you should have made a change and, and, or, and this, We'll, we'll talk about it in the squad rotation, but maybe play Bruno there because he doesn't get himself into the box. But he was dropping back and, and trying to make things happen, and that's going to lead to incomplete passes, and that's fine. But if he if he was going to sit you know sit back and play as number 10, United couldn't get him the ball, which is exactly what happened at the end of last season with Paul Pogba. Well, I, I'll give you a quote I think you'll appreciate, and I, I think it falls in line with everything that you were saying with the – just the midfield in general, especially with like the likes of McTominay and Bruno. Uh, so this one, it was actually a tweet from Mickey Kennedy, who's one of my uh, one of my peers in the USL. He works over at FC Tulsa. Shout out to him. Actually, a Tottenham fan, I believe. Um, so if you're listening, uh, he says work rate in soccer is an immensely overrated as a stat, if you'd even like to call it that. Which I think kind of falls in line with like what you were saying with McTominay. Everyone, it's appearing to be like, oh, he's having this incredible game because he's all over the place. But it's like, are you running around with your head cut off, you know, or are you actually changing how the game's happening? Uh, And and with Bruno, I think it was just a matter of we spent the last two weeks talking about what's this thing going to look like, Bruno, Bruno and Pogba together. And then it's only Bruno out on the field. And without trying to play armchair psychology or make this, you know, first take it just makes you wonder if maybe he's thinking to himself all right i'm the only one on the field after there was all this you know anticipation happening let me make something happen and i mean i i kind of saw that from him when pogba was on the pitch too because that's when he took a couple of those kind of wild shots in the second half and it i i actually thought that both of them played generally pretty well together i think they took advantage of the space that they were given and they opened up spurs more than we had in the previous 60 minutes of the match it was just getting that final ball into the area and you know actually executing so i i think maybe that's something that will come in time and they still need to get in sync obviously you know playing an actual match together but i wasn't i wasn't totally disappointed with bruno i just wasn't i like if he hadn't scored that penalty i wonder what people would have thought of him in this game, I guess. They, that's the thing is that people were still, 
the excuses that were coming. Oh, you know, he's he's the creator, so he has to pass forward more. So they're going to be he's making harder passes. Like, I'm sorry, Fred passed forward more than Bruno did. And Fred only misplaced five passes. Bruno misplaced 20. Um, yeah, he's get, oh, he's got to get used to his teammates. I'm sorry, that doesn't fly anymore. He's played how many games with these guys in all competitions? He just did a whole month of training with him, and his the passes that he was misplacing weren't oh we were off, weren't on the same page. It wasn't like oh I played this ball in over the top and you didn't make the run. They weren't like that. It was I'm trying to do something with the ball that's just stupid and I'm mishitting the pass and I'm I'm playing you a pass that the defender just intercepts because you weren't open and I played it to you. He had this. He had one in the second half. It was in the. Um, um, 51st minute, the ball comes down and he just tries to one touch it to Martial, even though there's a, he doesn't see, uh, that Sissoko was backtracking and ran in between them and just intercepted the pass easily. He didn't have to one touch it. He had all the room in the world to bring that down right at the top of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, he had one in the 83rd minute where he makes this great little volley. Um, do you remember that? That Delhi Ali goal against Crystal Palace from a few years ago, where he like yeah. follows it over. The, he basically did that, two touches, and then he bring, he basically did an Odie Nagalo against Lask, and then instead of bringing it down, he tries to just back flick it to Pogba, and Eric Dyer boxes, or um, I'm not sure if it was Dyer or somebody else, just was in the way, and they boxed mm-hmm. Pogba out of it, and boom, there they go on the break, and then the work rate as there's one pass, McTominay comes in and challenges. That pass really hard, wins the ball, goes through the player, but his challenge, the ball goes right to Lacelso, and boom, Spurs are on their way. So, good, you know, it's a good hard tackle for McTominay. Everybody's going to go, oh, great. What did it do? And not saying it's bad because, you know, who knows? Maybe Harry Kane turns around. If, you know, McTominay doesn't make that challenge, who knows what Harry Kane does? But it's also just a, okay, great challenge. What exactly did, did it do? But, Bruno's decision-making, if, if we're going to talk about him being a leader, and, and in the first half, I think he was, when you say, like, I, I feel like he had this feeling that he was the only one, he was. And he played like that because he had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, in these games where teams sit deep, Daniel James becomes useless. United struggle to get him the ball, and he becomes useless. But you know who also disappears in games like this is Marcus Rashford. And part of the reason for that is because they they don't move – they, their movement isn't the best, and they fail to, to get things going. Part of the reason is because United's midfield of Fred and McTominay, which has always been functional but not great, not creative, not you know, it's gotten the job done. When you know they they are they struggle to progress the ball, which means it has to go from Aguirre and Lindelof out to the fullbacks, and then. You know, all you're doing is playing a straight pass up to Rashford or, or James. You're not going to give them many opportunities. So Bruno was the only one moving around trying to make things happen, and, and he was good at that. But the decision-making it was terrible, and it started injury time in the first half. United finally get a break, and Bruno pulls up and shoots from 33 yards out, straight on. When you have Martial and Rashford in front of you, I'm, why in the world would you shoot that ball? And, yeah. yeah, it skipped off the turf, and it was like, oh, it takes a tricky bounce. And, yeah, anything could have happened, but Lloris wasn't troubled by that shot. And he saw it all the way because there was nobody in between Bruno. And Bruno, didn't have, Bruno could have, even if he wanted to shoot from far out, 
he could have ran another five yards and shot it. You know, yeah. Tom's defense was backing off, and and that's the whole thing. It's the end of the first half. Yeah, maybe Warris is tired, but you know who is tired? Tottenham's defenders, Tottenham's midfielders who are backing off. You know, maybe run at them, try to get a better shot, try to make these tired guys make a play, or mm-hmm. play Rashford or Martial in and make them make a play against them because if they're tired, maybe they give up a penalty, you know, or maybe yeah. they just get beat. And he did it He did it again at the very end of the game, 95th minute. He uncorks the shot from 20-something yards out on his left foot that just slices away and Lloris, somebody actually told me he missed it by inches. And I'm like, yeah, that's why Lloris just literally did that, like, hands up, let that go. It's way wide thing. And I'm like, because it was way wide. It was with his weaker foot. When Rashford's at the edge of the box, Igala was pulling into space. You know, it's not like part in the reference to other American sports, but it's not like basketball or hockey or anything where you see the clock and it's one, you know, very rarely will the ref blow the whistle. Right. As you play that ball to Rashford. You have the time. And play that ball. Instead, he takes a shot with his left foot, which it's not so much the left foot. It's the weaker foot. There are only from from 26 yards out. There's only two players in the world that in that situation, I'd be okay with them shooting with their weaker foot. And they are Ronaldo and Messi. And Messi would not have taken that shot. You know, it's it's if you want to be the leader, if you want to be the guy, your decision making has to be better. And that's the kind of thing that needs to improve on. And that there's no excuse for. There is no, oh, he's getting used to his new teammates. There's none of that. That is just a poor decision on his part. He was trying to force things when, you know, you got to trust your teammates, especially you have your leading scorer on the field. You have Paul Pogba's on the field. You have Odin Igalo, who there's clearly trust between Bruno and Igalo for, from uh, Mason Greenwood wasn't in a great position, but he was out there. And I think if Bruno pulls up and lets Greenwood make a run centrally, maybe a ball opens up there. It's just that that decision making that he displayed in the second half, it was atrocious. And all three of Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial and Mason Greenwood, they each had at least one chance in this game where I thought for sure the ball was going in the back of the net. So it wasn't like there was a sort of mistrust either between the midfield and the forwards. Like they were getting in good positions and getting shots on target. Lloris had a couple of really good saves in this game too. That is probably the most frustrating part of this result is that we probably could have had two or three goals. But you know what? It's the same thing as, as, as all these games in the first half of the season. It's, when you look at what we created, which wasn't a lot, we missed chances, but we've been missing chances all season long. We are mm-hmm. not a very clinical team in front of goal. So we don't create enough. You know, we need to create three, four, five good chances a game just to get a goal. You know, we got that goal against City on the on the on the set piece. And then remember, Martial had a not so much a tap in but kind of a t- you know tougher than a tap in because he had to slide into it but a chance from right in front in the second half when he slid into the post that we didn't score mm-hmm. uh, against the Liverpool Juan Basaka put the ball all the way across the six yard box and Pereira slid in front of an empty net and somehow missed it you know we just don't create enough ch- we've been missing chances that are that good all season long and we don't create enough to offset that and while we give up relatively nothing you know, Spurs' XG was like half a goal. We 
we don't account for, well, what happens if a mistake is made or if somebody hits a worldie? You know, Ruben Neves puts a shot into the top corner. Dehan right. Muffs won. You know, McGuire and Fred of, bite high up the pitch. <laughs> and three, line, yeah. three things go wrong, and Dehan Muffs won. You know, the same thing that happened against Crystal Palace. That, those things happen in football, and if you're going to dominate a match like this, you have to create – you know, you that's yeah. why you need to score more than a goal. It, yeah. That's why you can't bank on winning 1-0. And – Ultimately, we didn't really create that. You know, we didn't we, we don't finish. I guess we did create enough. Our XG without the penalty was 1.01. So we should have scored a goal. We're, we're not clinical in front of in front of goal. And that's been the story of our season. And it's it's weird seeing how basically this was the same result as as against Southampton and Wolves and Everton in the first half of the season. And at the beginning of the season, it was, well, Ali is out of his depth and he's not the manager. And now it's, oh no, we should have won. We should have, you know, all we had to do is just, you know, finish that one chance and we would have won. Oh, don't blame Bruno. He's, you know, he's just settling in. You know, the excuses, it's like we signed Bruno Fernandez. Now everybody wants to make an excuse for him. We're just having a completely different conversation. If De Gea doesn't have one, one error and Hugo Lloris doesn't make two worldy saves. Yeah, but that's football. That's life as a goalkeeper, you know? Yeah. Like and Van der Sar, Schmeichel have all made, you know, some pretty baffling goalkeeping decisions. I think Rio Ferdinand, Vidic, Yapstam, yeah. Gary Neville, all the great United defenders have all made mistakes that led to goals. And it, but I'll, def- I'll defend DDG real quick. That was really bad. It was really, really bad letting that yeah, bird one shot they, in. But like two minutes later, he made a worldy save on Sun. So it's like, you know... In, in recent months, and maybe the last 18 months, he's had a, a howler more likely to happen to him than in recent years, but he's still making saves that are just like, you know, otherworldly, just absolutely godlike. So, you know, it's 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 just weighing your risk. It's it's important to remember that, and like this, um, this the post shot expected goals minus goals against stat which really measures how many goals your goalkeeper brought back for you and De Gea this year is really below average but you know two years in 2017-18 he was at like a plus 11 which backs up you know everything you know he he basically saved 11 goals that that really should have went in over the course of the season and everybody who watched him play that season would back up and and say yeah that sounds about right you think back to like that Arsenal game, the first one, where, you know, we lose, we, we drop the point because, again, it comes down to you make a simple mistake and we don't score enough goals to offset that. And Axel Twanzebi just gives the ball right to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Harry Maguire plays him on side by about a mile and he goes and finishes. But so it looks bad, but like De Gea's post PSXG minus GA was, was one. He brought back a goal in that game. Uh, and it's, it, those are the margins here is, is he stood on his head that game and then one mistake undoes you. And and like you said, you know, we're, it's a different conversation if, if Lloris doesn't make that save against Martial or if, if De Gea makes that save. Yeah. But it's a different conversation if, um, Ruben Neves shoots over the bar against Wolves. It's a different conversation if Pogba hits that penalty against Wolves. Different converse, you know, it's, it's a different conversation if, Right there, if he hits the penalty, we go into that Crystal Palace game. There is no controversy 
about penalty takers because remember that was the entire week was controversy over why Pogba took the penalty instead of Rashford. Rashford gets gets a penalty against Crystal Palace that you knew he was going to miss. But we'd go into that game with six points instead of instead of four. And, you know, we'd go to Southampton now with I think that Crystal Palace game would have played out differently if, you know, because there was so much negativity surrounding the team going into that game because of that. It's a whole different conversation. But like we've been when Solskjaer focused the building of this team this year on improving the defense. So those one one games last year and those two two games, instead of making them two one and three two, would become one nil and two one. We've gotten the defense well, but we're that attack is just living on the margins and Martial and Rashford have not been clinical enough that when one thing does go wrong, because no defense is perfect, it, it comes back and costs us. And this is the one thing I, the one reason I was like, it's very risky to leave Paul Pogba out because all season long this has been happening. And the argument against has been, well, they're missing their most creative player. And on Friday, the same thing happened, but you left your most creative player out by choice. Yeah. Well, it, it, and one of those weird things, too, because this break was so long and this pandemic has put so many other more important things into perspective. I've almost completely forgotten the beginning half of the season. So it, and you've like sparked my memory. It didn't come across one time when Bruno was walking up to take that penalty. All the bullshit that we went through in September, October, like. The other two people were on the field, and Bruno's yeah. like, I'm taking this penalty, and I, it didn't even register in my brain. It was like, oh, Pogba won that. Why is he not taking that? Or why isn't Rashford taking it? Yeah. It's like, oh, Bruno's going to just you know, put it right in, just slot it. So, I'm absolutely 100% sure that Ale has not forgotten that, and from now on is going to have a designated penalty taker. Yeah. Before Dude, every- it, no, oh, so you missed it, because I wrote about this on – I wrote about this this morning in my, in my own blog that – VAR actually actually saved us of this moment was basically what Nathan said. Exactly right. We win a penalty and there was no like it was wait. Pogba was the penalty taker last year. Rashford's been the penalty taker this year. And Bruno assumed duties. You would maybe because he was the penalty taker and maybe because Rashford was out injured. There was no question. The announcers didn't even talk about it. Bruno just stepped up. Maybe that's because we know that last week in the friendly against West Brom, Bruno took the penalty. But there was no question about it. But then United get a second penalty. And when VAR calls it back, Jonathan Moss goes and he took the ball away from Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford was going to take that penalty. Yeah. And I mean, to me, that made no sense. Like, why would you do that? Because even though Rashford has, you know, maybe put the penalty things behind you, all your, you know, what's the best thing that happens is he scores and, okay, we win. Worst thing that happens is you open up another Pandora's box. And according to uh, Mr. Luckhurst, my good friend, he said that there was a coach on the touchline trying to get Bruno's attention, being like, dude, you're the one that's supposed to take it. And I'm like, I think that is even worse. Because what would have happened if the cameras caught that conversation? What if Rashford well, hesitated before giving up the ball? Man, we'd be in full meltdown mode if Rashford or Pogba took that and they missed it oh, and we end up losing 1-0. Can I you ima- imagine? 
So, I have full confidence in Rashford absolutely smashing it. I do too. But I mean, he put, he put a hole through the net uh, <laughs> after the week he's had, but. I mean, I do too, but like, and if the argument is, well, you should get Rashford a goal, then uh, no, because then he should have taken the first one. Right. Um, there is, like, Opta for, took a survey five years from 2012 to 2017, um, and basically it's when you – if the penal, penalty success, if it's taken by the player who won the penalty, it's 73% a conversion rate if it's taken by someone else it's 81 percent, which is very weird how that happens yeah so like that's a pretty big drop and and bruno did win the win the penalty but like penalties overall 76 percent success rate yep. and 70 the difference between 76 and 73 is minuscule that it's it's given what we have gone through this season it is not worth that controversy at all Man, and real I cannot believe it's June 23rd and we're like, it has it's reared its ugly head again in, a, I just, I, in the most I weird mean, way. I mean, luckily it didn't, yeah. but I just, I just don't I mean, see why you even go near that subject. Uh, unless like, I don't know what the numbers are on what someone's, what the overall record of players who are taking their second penalty of a game is, but unless it's significantly below 73%, uh, considering that Bruno is 19 for 19 in his career on penalties, you'll let the guy take it. Yeah. Real quick before we go to squad rotation, yay or nay on a basketball like rule where it's it's like free throws where if you're fouled you have to take it. It's an interesting one. I right now I wouldn't we're just doing hate designated it. hitter rules, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it would they, make it more interesting too. Because uh, foul John Terry every so, time he's in the box. Right. There are so many like because it's still like a penalty is designed for the offensive team to have the advantage. So even somebody who's not like great at taking penalties, you would assume that they have a higher chance of making it than the goalkeeper is to save it. Right. But it, I think it, you would probably see that percentage go down a little bit just because, you know you introduce more randomness into it and more unexpected results. Um, you you do. But I also think, you know, like Dan James runs at a defender and makes a move and twice, you know, after two times where he has to go to the, like where he has to go to the yeah. spot, like he's used to it now and he'll, you know, because every single one of these guys, they could take penalties. Yeah. Um, and we see that every time a game goes into a shootout. It's more of the mental aspect. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about squad rotation now. Um, there was a community piece that I put up this week talking about the three positions that are most in question uh, for Manchester United's first choice starting lineup. Uh, those positions are left back, defensive midfield and right wing. So we're going to start with left back. Um, this one, the readers voted for Luke Shaw, who got 52 percent of the vote. Uh, Brandon Williams got 46% and 3% voted for other, but nobody commented who that other would be. I guess we would recall Cameron Borthwick Jackson from Lone if that was the case. I don't know. I mean, Twinsebi is injured. Could it be Diogo Dalo? Why would I mean? Maybe Dalo. He he has played left back, but he's primarily a right back. He's not played it well. Right, right. But the main two candidates here. Rashford, oh my god. He can do everything. 
So the main two candidates here, Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams. Luke Shaw just pipping out Brandon Williams. I think it is a little bit telling that the vote was this close, but overall, the sentiment kind of that Luke Shaw has, you know, experience since he was 16, 17 years old playing left back at, you know, the highest level in English football. He's played in the Champions League. He's played in the Europa League. He's got the experience. He's his form and fitness have both fluctuated a lot, but for the most part, people seem to trust experience over the youth of Brandon Williams, I guess. But it, well, it goes. It also goes back to what is you know what was that quote Nathan of about work rate? Uh, work rate is an overrated stat if it's even a stat. Yeah, <laughs> like it, because work rate is the narrative. You see that work rate, the narrative is oh he's very good. The narrative is Luke Shaw's bad, and we all know Luke Shaw's improved a lot since January. But uh, you look at how many it happened twice against Spurs. It happened against Watford. It happened. I don't know how many times it's happened recently, but like. Considering that McGuire and Lindelof aren't the fastest center backs, and Luke Shaw is not the fastest player either, but he yeah. reads the game really well, and he has displayed that with the amount of times that he has gotten back to once those two guys have gotten beaten to make that last interception or that last block. And it, it happened five minutes into the game when uh, United's midfield was carved through like, like soft butter. And... You know, Maguire and Lindelof both pick up their men and they stay with everybody, but Spurs eventually find the open man, and that's all the way on the right. And Luke Shaw's the one that gets back and gets over and makes the block, and he's proven to be really good at that. And he's been decent going forward. That Yeah, there's flaws in his game, but overall his form has been good, and it's... Uh, I think when we're talking about squad rotation, you have to take into account everything else that you know it's not just we're not just talking about Sheffield here we have to think about the next game too yeah I think uh part of the case for Brandon Williams is that when you're young and you're a defender and you have no body of work to show for yourself you have to get those sort of opportunities just to prove it and continue to prove it and we've still seen just such a small body of work from him this season but -hmm. overall he doesn't really seem overwhelmed by the situation that he's in. And I think that that's beneficial to Luke Shaw as well, because now you have two reliable players with a crowded schedule in a position that has become really important to Ollie's style. Brandon Williams has been great and phenomenal, and he's this young, exciting left back, so I understand why everybody loves him, and he has been great. I think I can't recall it off the top of my head. I can't tell you which game it was. I think he's had like one bad start. And I think it, it was the City game. No, he was the, good in that In the League game. Cup. He was good in that game. When we lost 3-1? Well, they exposed they exposed him, but they, yeah, they yeah. targeted Pereira and Jones, and they did a good job yeah. of making sure, you know, like that first, that Bruno, that, um, I remember writing about this too, like, and I, I highlighted how on that first Bernardo goal, basically, Rian Mares just stayed on the touchline, which forced Williams to stay there. And it opened up yeah. a space between um, Phil Jones and Williams, and they, and they exploited that space. That's not really his fault. He kind of did what he was supposed to do. But, yeah, like, when he when he was bad, he wasn't like, oh, my God, get this guy off the, the field bad. He just had one game where, you know, he wasn't great. Um so, yeah, I understand why everybody is excited about him. It's just that 
and when he broke, it was a he he had that mistake against Villa. He played Tyrone Mings onside, which cost us the game. Um, and then he was dropped for like a few weeks until Burnley. At that time, he was probably better than Luke Shaw. But since January's come back, he you know Luke Shaw's been good enough that you know he's been holding off Williams. And it's not that Williams hasn't been getting chances; he has. Um, and he's with all the games coming up, he is going to get chances going forward. Yep. All right. So moving on to defensive midfield, uh, the assumption here is that Pogba and Bruno are two of the safest players in the starting lineup, and that Ali should not. Um, make the mistake of not starting Paul Pogba again. It seems from the impact that Paul Pogba has had when he comes off the bench, he's just miles better than the other options that we have at midfielder, and he's very good at influencing the game when he needs to. So this is an audition for that third spot as to who would be more of a defensive screen player for those two to work their magic. Uh, 29% of the vote went to Fred. 32% 32% went to Scott McTominay, and 36% went to Nemanja Matic to start um, as the defensive screen in midfield. Um, Matic, since kind of making his comeback in January, has definitely been better than the very forgettable 18-19 campaign. But this is still a little bit surprising to me, just because of, you know, hashtag narrative. Who's the who's the other three percent? Was there a comment for that one? Uh, there was other, and uh, once again, there were not comments. <laughs> James Garner. <laughs> or just keep playing, keep playing Pogba as the deepest midfielder. Right. It, Unfortunately, was, Garner did not go on the Goretzka uh, workout plan, so that's why he's not going to be playing. He looked like he grew though. Yeah, yeah he, he definitely looks, looks bigger. Yeah, that that kid needs to fill out a little bit. You want to take a crack at this one, Nathan? Yeah, so I understand why they say Nemanja Matic, because like you alluded to, I mean, he has played well but, um, since he's had his little bit of a, of a renaissance. But if you're looking at this going forward as a out-and-out, like, this person's undroppable, I don't know that Nemanja Matic is your guy, because mm-hmm. we're just going to play too I many games. I wouldn't say any of them are undroppable. Yeah, well, that too, but, you know, Matic especially he's going to get his legs run into the ground again because we're going to be playing too many games back-to-back. So it's almost like Matic, we're going to treat him like our starting pitcher, I would think, in the midfield, where it's like, you know, he gets one start a week and maybe you pull him out of the bullpen um, when you need to, but you can't play him too much. Otherwise, he's going to be worthless in about, you know, a month. Um, That's what I wanted to ask, Colin. Is this a question of, are we making these play- should this player be first choice or is this yeah so this, or is this be, should be against Sheffield this should be who who is your first choice player and I, I do think that against Sheffield you know it's probably a different question than against Tottenham but it is worth mentioning that after Nemanja Matic came on against Tottenham we looked more comfortable going forward in possession I'm not saying it was entirely Nemanja Matic's responsibility in that because Pogba had also come onto the pitch obviously I think Mason Greenwood gave us a couple. Yeah, we, was, we moved it was around. A weird we strategy. Too. It was Matic in the middle with McTominay on his right and Maguire on his left. And occasionally they switched back to a back four. But it was 
that back four was Harry Maguire stepping into midfield, and the back four was Matic and McTominay. <laughs> but, yeah, Colin's absolutely right. Is we did play better when Matic came on. Um, and you guys have both rewatched this game. I haven't had the chance to rewatch it yet, other than just the condensed highlights that NBC put on. So I, I guess I was going to leave that more to you guys talking about the impact of Nemanja Matic in that number six hole instead of Scott McTominay or Fred, because both of those who, both of those two who started the game looked pretty uncomfortable and kind of out of sorts for a little bit of the first half. Well, yeah, like, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I like the versatility that Matic brings because like you, you know, he can drop back and put in a shift or two playing at center back. And you've got a guy like Harry Maguire, who one of his greatest strengths when he's allowed to, he can play a ball forward. And so having that versatility, having, you know, that, um, to a certain degree that, that, that amorphous shape, it, it makes it harder to um, lock on and, and play defense against us. I like, I like having that versatility. Um, and we've seen in, in more than a few games this season that Matic does step up. So uh, between the veteran presence and um, just everything he brings to it on any given Saturday, I like him to, to probably start. Um but just knowing what the con- the congestion of the fixture list is going to be like, you know, it's it, I, I think he really will be like a starting pitcher. Like we're going to have him once a week a, a, as a starter, and then maybe he cleans up the last 20 minutes of another game. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're going to rely on fresher legs like Fred and Scott to kind of take most of the burden of the week. And I think I when we play teams that are more, I guess, defensively weak than Spurs and Sheffield United are, uh, like Norwich, you could probably trust either of these three to maybe even nick a goal in a game like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I agree with the sentiment like, oh, he's good at center back or like he can go in and play center back. I know Mourinho used him there, and it, it wasn't. I was, I was saying more like just in the in the framework of the game, if it's maybe for like yeah. three minutes or something, he falls back because right. Maguire right. yeah. himself. Like, sure. you know, do your thing, yeah. son. He definitely provides. He definitely covers there, and he's he's done very good. Of, dropping into a three this year when, you know, Juan Bissaka and Williams and, and Shaw push up. Mourinho has used him as a center back um, before, and it wasn't really great. It's not, I don't, you know. I, don't I want him to be Fernandinho, that's for sure. Right, and I wouldn't say, like, you know, like when Carrick had to go back to center back, he he acquitted himself, he, he did well there. You know, he he didn't seem out of place. I think Modic has been exposed there, but again, that was under a different manager. But yesterday, the plan was clearly to go to a back three when Matic came on. Um, I think originally the plan would, would have been to to um, pull, bring Matic on for McTominay and slot him in between Maguire and Lindelof, but Lindelof got hurt, so he came on for Lindelof, and McTominay dropped back as well. It was only, you know, that was why the last change of the game was, okay, like, let's take McTominay off and, and bring... Uh, and bring Eric Bailly on. But that, you know, if one of the last games that that Southampton game, that 2-2 draw against Southampton, that disaster of a game, you know, who played center back in that game? Matic and McTominay. And Mourinho was like ridiculed with it. And the fact that Solskjaer went to that was also just a testament to the fact that it was like, yeah, you can do this right now because Spurs aren't a threat. And it's it's like that drives me nuts because 
okay, you realized that in the 77th minute, but like you should have realized this in the 45th minute and like <laughs> get to yeah. defensive, but you know, you just didn't need as many defensive players on the goddamn pitch. Um, yeah. But, I, I think it's also worth mentioning that the three of them in competition for this third spot would definitely be the defensive role. This is kind of assuming that Pogba and Bruno are going to be controlling offensive players. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about what my preference for Sheffield is when we talk about Sheffield, but Mm -hmm. if we're just saying who is the overall first choice player, I would go with Fred. Yeah. Nathan. I'd probably agree. I, I, I liked everything that Fred was doing going into the end of going into what we thought was going to be the end of the season a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. Give it to pastor Fred. Yeah. That's three for Fred. Um, I, I trust him on the ball more than I do the other two, I think. And uh, that's a kind of midfield competition or not competition. It's a midfield combination that I would like to see United play more of. That's yeah. more enterprising. Um, well, I think that's the, what we the predicted defensive a couple football weeks ago. we've seen in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what Fred and and this is it's a little frustrating because he's needed this all season, but it, it really reared its ugly head on Friday. He just he needs to develop a little bit more cynicism in his game. Man, um, don't be afraid to pull I, on that shoulder, man. Yeah, I yeah. mean that. Wait, look at what Eric Lamella did. <laughs> he, it's, that was part of the bullying that our midfield was subject to. And it's like, yeah. there wasn't really a response until I think McTominay had kind of a rash challenge. And of course he got, or no, Daniel James did it and he got booked, you know, for first, first defense. Yeah. Dude, and you can some crazy shithousery and you're like, every game I watched Tottenham play, you're like, how, how are you not carded yet? Like yeah. if Fred had half of that, that, that grit, I, I mean, it, I don't even need that. Like you, cause you could count on McTominay to, to, be your enforcer and say, we're not going to, you know, you're not going to intimidate us. And he's done a great job. You know, that city game in December, perfect example of that. It's just, you know, on the goal, Fred catches up to him to a uh, win, just pull him down, pull him down, take the yellow card, which is something that McTominay definitely would have done. Mm-hmm. And Fred doesn't do Cause he's not, you know, he's just not cynical and yeah. doesn't do it. Now, granted when we give up stupid free kicks in that area of the pitch, they tend to, this season pretty much end up in the back of our net. So might've been for nothing, but at least, you know, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. with Erickson being gone. Like, you know, you feel a little bit better not having a free kick going in. Yeah. And it gives Harry Maguire the time he needs to get the tugboats out and shift his body. And... Oh my God, dude. It, the, when you watch it back, it's, it's so weird how one, he, he's pushed so far up and, he just does not react quick enough to. It's, I'm telling you, it's it's when you're playing it. FIFA and like the computer just changes to your yep. defender, yeah. and you already had the def- like you already had your your finger on the up on the joystick, and your defender gl- moves up for that split second because you didn't realize that it was going to change, and you go oh shit, and then you got to run <laughs> back and that was McGuire. I said it yes. in the group chat. He looked like an aircraft carrier. I mean, it yeah. it looked like it took a legit full half a second for him to get his hips turned around. And at that point, Bergwine's like, you know, three yards away from him and there's no chance. And then you got Lindelof, who's going to be delayed too, because he's got his own defensive assignment for him to come into the middle. And so that's when it really falls on a guy like Fred to, you know, take his, take him out, just get him and, out. And it's a shame because McGuire played really well the rest of the game. Yeah. It was one yeah. mistake, and and the, 
this was and this was an indictment on the midfield too was in the first half we couldn't get the ball forward unless except for when Maguire except for when Bruno dropped all the way back or when Maguire took it and carried it past the midfield himself yeah yep all right, so the third position before we do a little bit of a Sheffield United preview. Um, this is the right winger slash forward role, and it kind of depends on who plays there as to what this player does. Um, Daniel James, who started against Tottenham, uh, got 12% of the vote. And Mason Greenwood, who came on in the second half, got 83% of the vote. And the rest was to other and again, nobody really put a different answer in the comments, but I'm this assuming that like would one be... Motto? Yeah, Juan Mata or Jesse Lingard. Lingard. There are actually others there. Yeah, but (laughs) put Martial on the right and Agallo in the center. Martial does not go on the right, Nathan. (laughs) And neither does Rashford. (laughs) It's in his contract. But okay, so we see and we saw this against Spurs. The different things that Daniel James and Green would offer. Daniel James obviously gives you a lot of speed, and he's provided six assists off of the right wing. Uh, this season, which is more than any other Manchester United player in the Premier League. Whereas Mason Greenwood gives you kind of a second striker role, somebody who can cut in and shoot. He's very two-footed. And something that I think Mason Greenwood actually does better than Daniel James, despite not having the advantage of speed, is he's got that sort of quickness that you need when you're taking someone on -on one-on-one. And I trust Mason Greenwood in those situations more than I trust Daniel James, I think. He's just very good at creating space in tight areas, whereas we kind of see Daniel James get confused and run the ball into the ground and either give it away or try to force a cross in. And maybe Mason Greenwood doesn't provide as much in that role, but I I would make the case maybe that he gives you more of a goal option. Thoughts. <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly agree with what you're saying, um, especially when it comes to that final third. Like, all right, we've got the ball in the attack. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. Greenwood's the guy that you want to have the ball in that situation. I don't think it's Daniel James. Um, and you even saw it last play of the game. The just the even the the minor footwork that Greenwood does. It, it, it's all about him being able to create space and what he can do in the box. And so. Um, you know, he might not have the pace of Daniel James, but once he gets to where he needs to be, I'd much rather have him have the ball and shooting it or setting up other people. Um, it's just one of those things where like, if it's a true out and out right wing position, does Greenwood really fit that? Or would you rather him play more right. you know, centrally and maybe he's off to the right. So if it's like a two striker setup, uh, with, with the, uh, uh, Maybe with the diamond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, but, but like, Daniel James also gives you more of a defensive presence than Greenwood does, too. Because And I don't want to say this word again, but work rate is something that Daniel James <laughs> gives you. And he's somebody who can run back quickly and when you're trying to recover against teams like Tottenham yeah. that are hitting you on the break. I think we've joked about him playing wingback at one point or another on this podcast. I mean... Yeah, the only problem is that we have Juan Bissaka. I know, right? <laughs> Who's, so, you know, better at that role. It, it, here, the, the question again is... It's just situational. Like, what, what's the team that you're going to go up against? You know, yeah. if you're going up against City, where we are going to have acres of space, in you know, between that goal and that back line, 
who would you want other than Daniel James or Marcus Rashford just sprinting as fast as they can and then Pogba hitting them with a Hail Mary pass or something like that? But it, when Mourinho's inviting you to break them down, Greenwood's the guy. Like, it's just 100%. Yeah, well, again, this we're talking who's your overall first choice or who are you playing against Sheffield? Well, against Sheffield, I've... Once again, I'm probably playing Greenwood. That was, I'm asking Colin before I give my answer. See, oh, you're asking me who I'm yeah. playing against Sheffield? No, no, I'm asking, is that the question? Is the question? No, this is, in general, what do you, like, who do you want as your first choice player? All right, well, then my answer is other. <laughs> and who is your other? Andreas. We don't have a first choice right wing. It is, <laughs> like what Nathan said, it is exactly based of on the people him. that we have, Polly. <laughs> it's a, it, it is exactly based upon who you're playing. Is is you know the 84 percent I think is a react is an overreaction to what happened against Tottenham where Daniel James was bad because it right. was not a game that suits his skill set. But from everything that I've seen in the comments on the Busby Babe and on on Twitter on 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 the internet on the interwebs, oh Dan, get that Irish or that Welsh guy. Someone actually responded to a United tweet with like that. Welsh kid better not be anywhere near our starting 11. And, and everybody's saying, oh, Mason Greenwood's so much better. Mason Greenwood had one shot. 28 minutes, he had one shot in that game. You know, yeah, he put it just inches wide of the post. It was our best chance at tying the game. But that's all he did. In you know, like, it's not like, oh, we came in and Mason Greenwood turned on the key to us pounding the goal. I mm-hmm. think if you gave him two shots uh, or certainly three shots, we probably would have gotten a winner um, because he is that good at shooting. But why didn't he get more shots? Is that a, that could be a, you know, the same way that Daniel James doesn't get the ball on the right wing in these games. That could be a thing of, we're not good at getting the ball out there. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, a bit of Greenwood and James aren't good at getting themselves open. And, you know, 28 minutes with your two best creative players on the field, your two best passers on the field. Well, again, Bruno wasn't exactly adept at passing the ball to his own team. But but under normal circumstances, you would yeah. expect them, yeah. You know, they only get him into a shooting chance once. And the, and you know who – and that was from Luke Shaw gave the ball to Igalo, who gave the ball to, to Greenwood. So, you know, yeah. one shot. Uh, so this it is, very much depends on who we're playing. This is when you need that – mid 2010s Wayne Rooney to play that crossfield pass to your right back or right winger whoever's surging forward basically all right so we are going to take a quick break now and we're going to come back and preview Sheffield and then get to fan questions so stay tuned welcome back uh, ladies and gentlemen we are going to do our preview of the Sheffield United game now it'll be pretty brief because i think it's kind of straightforward um sheffield united are another one of those teams that really welcomed their opponent to play that they want the way that they want them to play and uh they're just a very organized defensive team i think they've got the second best defensive record in the premier league um or they may not anymore because they did get shelled three nil uh at the weekend by newcastle united but they were also down a man so um yeah, what do you guys want to see from United going into this one? I want to see us get buckets, Colin. Like, <laughs> score all the goals we didn't get score against Tottenham. Um, of course, it, as you mentioned, John Egan uh, got a red card in that Newcastle game, which is going to leave him out 
We don't have to worry about going up against uh, the future United goalkeeper, Dean Henderson. He can't play against us. So we're already hamstringing him a little bit. Um, Of course, that Sheffield United game that we played earlier in the season was very weird. And we talked about that last week about how we might have to do a game rewind of just how bizarre that one went. Um, I don't think it'll necessarily be that wide open this time. Um, just make sure Pogba and Bruno are on the field at the same time. Start just to start the game. Let's just break them down and get buckets. Yeah. Just hit them, hit them, and hit them quick because uh, the games come thick and fast. You get five subs, and we've got plenty of players that can see out a game. And this, yeah. you know, I have my shock faith and all campaign to start. I have game. a lot of faith in a lot of these guys. If they, if you give them a lead, that they can go out there and see out the game. I don't have faith in many of these guys to come from behind and play and to change a game if we are down. And and that's not just having game changers on the bench. As a team, we aren't that great at coming from behind. If, you know, so many times this year when we've gone down, like that's just been, that's been it. The one, the biggest uh, caveat to that is the Sheffield game, which, like Nathan said, was just the weirdest game. You really can't take anything from it because we started Fred and Andreas Pereira in midfield, Phil Jones as a part of a back three, and he got destroyed. We It was one of the few games we played without a number 10. Like, usually when we play at the back three, it's like a 3-4-1-2, uh, and this was a 3-4-3, three, three, and that was really killing us that there was no central point between Fred and Pereira and mm-hmm. – the forward line and that we couldn't get them the ball. The game changed when we brought Jesse Lingard in to play as a midfielder. <laughs> like <laughs> that was, <laughs> that happened. Uh, yeah. So just an overall really weird game. Now we're full strength. Uh, and you know, despite it, like we had no options that game and right. we got a three, three out of it. So now we have all of our options. Let's go out there and and beat them. They're a team that, like Colin said, they're very good defensively because they they play their way, which is a weird way. They have the overlapping center backs and and all that stuff. They work you. They work the outside, which they tire you out, which is part of why their defensive record is so good because they don't allow you to get good chances, but they don't do that just by parking the bus. They do it in a weird way and and tire you out. so there's a lot that United have to do to, to get this, but I think with a full strength team, this could play into our hands. Yeah, we would expect uh, Pogba and Bruno both to start in this one, given the impact that they had playing together. Um, and it's at Old Trafford, which is not much of an advantage, uh, seeing as there are no. Fans. Well, it's going to be a raucous crowd, dude. Right. <laughs> the with the NBC be- enhanced you know, atmosphere. The, the thing is, like. Old Trafford might be an advantage because the pitch is so big. Right. That's true. Trafford is going to be coming down on Sheffield United. Let me tell you what. And we've also, I mean, Sheffield United don't score a lot of goals anyway. But but they are the opposite of United. They are clinical as can be. They create two chances a game or three chances a game. They score on two of them. Yeah. And they they did score a goal against Aston Villa last week, to be fair. Um, (laughs) It just didn't count. Because goal line technology, one out of 9,000 happened. Um, Referees, go to the goddamn monitor. Yeah. I don't understand how it's so hard. It, I, th- that was a really confusing situation, though. Because I, there's so many times in sports, it's just kind of my 
one of my favorite moments in sports is when somebody realized that they can get away with something that happened <laughs> against the rules. Like man, <laughs> the goalkeeper work. sat back against his net, realized that the the play was still technically going, and just kind of casually put the ball back <laughs> across the line, and did not like looked incredibly guilty doing it. But it, yeah. It, it, it was a messed up situation. My Hopefully that doesn't sports, happen against us because I would be much less um, laid back in a situation like that. Yeah, I, I think my favorite thing in sports is definitely when something that could be fixed with literally two seconds of common sense that everybody in the world when they're watching the game knows that it needs to be flipped around or something needs to change and the people in that stadium can't because then it gives us endless hours of content. So... I'm always on the side of chaos as long as Manchester United's not in town. So uh, yeah, well, this Arsenal. benefited Manchester United, so I'm on the side of yeah, don't go to the monitor. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I guess also since they haven't gotten a result in their first two games back, Sheffield United may be buckling a little bit under the pressure of being in a spot where they're qualifying for European football. Um, do you guys think that we're a team that can handle that sort of pressure better? We've been there, uh, you know, but like, you know, you look at the bulk of this team, like Rashford and and Martial and, you know, dare I say Pogba and McTominay and Fred. uh, We We have a squad that's one of trouble. (laughs) Well, Pogba (laughs) has. uh, And Rashford played his part, I guess, in the final Martial was pretty well. Whoa, 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 whoa. Rashford got us to not only a semifinal with that late winner against yes, Ajax, but then scored the away goal against Celta Vigo. So that's we're true. missing Megatarian who right. scores big goals. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, Rashford was pretty much a non issue in that final. Martial was basically a non issue that season. Um, but last year, when they when the pressure was on them, so they've experienced pushing for Europe, but they did yeah. not handle it too well. Right. So a little bit of an interesting trial by fire for them as well, uh, with an FA Cup quarterfinal right around the corner on Saturday, which we will talk about more later this week. But real quick, I, also, I don't know uh, if Sheffield, I don't know if Sheffield aren't handling the pressure or if they just have kind of been figured out because right. since Boxing Day, so since we flipped over the uh, the fixture list and everybody's playing them a second time, they are. I think they've got 13 points. They're right. They're at the bottom of the table when mm. it comes to that. You know. So now, granted, like thir- 14 point, uh, like. 14 points would get you in, like, fifth in the table. Uh, but 13 points has you, like, down on, like, 15. So yeah. it's it's the whole league that's been doing this. But, yeah, like, they've been a little bit less consistent in the second half of the season than they were in the first. Yeah. Uh, so real quick, score predictions for this one. Um, I'm going to go 2-1. Oh, you skipped the team selections and everything. Oh, teams. We did. We did just talk well, a lot about you, team selection. So I did hold off on everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, overall. So of of those, I guess, including the rest of the squad, how do you line up against Sheffield United in this one? Why don't you go first, Nathan? Um. <laughs> about it. Sergio Romero and goal. No. Um. <laughs> David De Gea. Um. Backline of. I like putting Brandon Williams in this one. I thought he played well against Sheffield the first go-around, scored against him too. 
Um, Maguire, Lindelof, Erwan Bissaka. Uh, I will say Nemanja Matic, um, Pogba, Bruno, uh, Rashford, Martial, and I think I'm. I think I might actually say Greenwood on this one. Um, although, if Sheffield got a goal against them last time. Yeah, if Sheffield's going to play their, you know, the three back, well, actually, it's probably more of a five back system. They they, they like to do that. Um, I do like the idea of having Dan James running whoever their wing back is, just absolutely ragged, um, and then having Greenwood come on and just assassinate that that defense. Um, but I think I think after what Greenwood showed in his thirty minutes and what um, Dan James showed in his sixty, I think maybe. Um, Ollie might say, Hey, have a sit son. Uh, Greenwood's going to play. And then, you know, maybe Dan James comes in and affects the game for the last 30, you know, 15, 30 minutes, just with absolutely blistering pace against a tired, you know, back line. So I think that would be my team lineup. So, yeah, when I suggested last, when that report came out last week that Paul Pogba might not be in the starting 11, and I was like, That seems ridiculous. Some of the biggest answers I heard was, well, we have so many matches now. you got to make sure that you're not injuring players, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, ease them in. You know, they're, they're, he'll get his time to play. And so, yeah, if that's going to be your, your line there, then that's what you also have to think about here um, is that we also have Norwich coming up in, in the cup where you know you're going to have a rotated squad. They, we had five days in between games. Um, so I wouldn't make too many changes here. I would Wambasaka, um, McGuire, Shaw for me. Uh, I think Lindelof got hurt at the end of the game. I mean, that's why he came off for Matic. So I maybe would bring in Bailly uh, if Lindelof can't go. Mm-hmm. In midfield, I'd go to Fred. I'd, not Fred. I'd go to Matic because Fred just was out-muscled in, in that game against... Sheffield and then I and then you look ahead at Norwich and I think Norwich would be you know a good game for Fred and McTominay to play against um to play on Saturday so I'd go with Matic next to Matic I'd go with Bruno I'd drop Bruno into the number eight role because I feel like that's where he's better and he's more comfortable he's he keeps dropping deep anyway he runs around he presses really well he could do that from midfield he could play like the way McTominay did um and he doesn't get in the box enough as a number 10. And you put Pogba up there. Um, then Rashford and Martial on the right wing. Daniel James was really bad on Friday and deserves to be dropped. Now, it's a little unfair on him because it wasn't a game. Like we said, it wasn't a game for his skill set. But we've also just been talking about how for so many of these games, it, it depends on who you're playing. And my initial thing was, you know, Mason Greenwood wasn't exactly, didn't light the world on fire that he definitely deserves to start. And I like the idea of him coming off the bench and providing that extra oomph. Um, I also like the idea of him playing against Norwich in the FA Cup. So you don't want him to play the full game. I thought about putting in Juan Mata because Juan Mata is, is already limited minutes he's had on the pitch with Bruno have already, he's been incredible. It's been night and day with him. He's got a very good rapport with Bruno. Um, and that was, I maybe probably should have started against Tottenham because United basically needed another guy that could advance the ball and Mata would have dropped deep too and provided an outlet to Bruno. 
But then I just remember, like, against Sheffield, the way that they play, the way that they work you, you need somebody that's going to run. And I think that – I think this game suits Daniel James. And I'm going to keep him in the team because, you know, against Norwich, you're going to go with Igalo and and probably Mata and probably either Pereira or Lingard. And I would probably play Daniel James for maybe 45 minutes and bring on – of Mason Greenwood for the second 45 and then maybe against I it's either Mata or James for me and then I think you play James down the left wing against Norwich uh so that Rashford can get a break again just hit him early so that Rashford Martial Pogba Bruno they can come off the field and rest and you can reevaluate later but for me I would I would my gut is telling me Daniel James on the right put Pogba at the number 10 Rashford on the left, Marti out front. Yep. I'm about the it's same Matic as you guys. And, Matic and Bruno in the middle. Yeah. I also kind of considered Juan Mata for right wing. I also thought that Jesse Lingard, this could be a game where maybe he gets a shot, maybe not as a starter, maybe coming off the bench. Um, There's and, just been too many of those games this year, and he hasn't done anything. That's true. So, yeah. That's true. But, again, he's one of those guys. You hit him early, get a nice lead. He is one of those guys that I have no problem bringing into the game and, and trust him yeah. to see it off. Um, I think I'm going to go with McTominay just for, one, the sake of difference, I guess, from you guys. And he's a little bit of a – he, he kind of brings you more muscle than Fred, but he also gets forward. And these are kind of games where he's been able to get into the box and make a difference against these sort of mid-table, mid-table teams. Um. But yeah, I I would also like to see Bruno drop deeper. I think what made Pogba stand out under Ole last season was Pogba's ability to create in and around the box, and he and made when he difference. played as a number ten. Yeah, and when he has that sort of freedom to interact with the strikers, and I think that that's exactly what Rashford and Martial need right now to and really get Bruno going isn't really after doing such that. a long break. Yeah, and. Bruno kind of puts a lot of it on himself, and he's really good at getting back and involved in possession, which is, you know, what you want to see from your midfield pivot player. So Right, and, and I mean, you know, by dropping back constantly, you're just wearing him out. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Bruno took three touches inside Tottenham's box on Friday. Pogba took yep. two, and Pogba played 28 minutes and yep. played in a deeper position. I mean, at the, yeah. they're just—we also—we know— that Solskjaer's been playing Pogba as the 10 in these friendlies and everything, so unloaded on people. Like, let's go. Yeah. And also, if there's more bodies in front of Bruno, maybe he's not going to take a shot as a deeper midfield player. <laughs> oh, no, he will, because oh, he, remember when <laughs> he played as the 8 against Wolves, <laughs> all of his shots came when he was playing as the 8. <laughs> Don't say he won't. <laughs> all right. Um, so, real quick, score predictions. Let's do quick fire round. <laughs> I am running um, out of time a little bit. <laughs> I'd like to see Ollie, you know, just come in in the dressing room at Old Trafford. Team talk is, you're better than this team. Now go fucking do what you have to do. And um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two nil. I, I I think I think that Bergwijn goal was a, a nice uh, wake up call maybe for the United defense and David de Gea. It's like guys, get your shit together. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna say two nil, because uh, as clinical as they can be in front of goal, I I think we're in a position now a lot more than we were last November, 
to uh, really control the possession and make sure that they don't have those opportunities be clinical and goal. So I'll say 2-0. Not with my chest, but I'll say 2-0. I'm saying 2-0, too, just because I think if we do get up 2-0, um, like we'll take guys off and we just won't be as potent attacking-wise. And the consensus right now is beautiful. <laughs> uh, I already – I think I spoiled it earlier. Uh, I'm going to stick with 2-1. Don't I believe think, in us? I think we go up 2-0. And that uh, Sheffield United kind of get one as they're pressing for goals later. Probably a set piece goal. Yeah. Harry Maguire mistake against his old team. That would be on brand for us. Yeah. It would, it would be. Like Kohler or Chevrolet. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we are going to get to our fan questions. Um, we've got a few that kind of a handful that were submitted to us uh, in the comments for the community poll. Uh, some of you tweeted at us and then we had a couple uh, voicemails as well. So we are going to, uh, Polly's got one picked out for us, I think. So voicemail of the week, I will play it for you and then I will recap. Hey guys, do you think David De Gea is a victim of his own success? He's made some errors this year, but are we comparing him too much to his form a few years ago rather than other goalies? How does his current form impact the situation with Dean Henderson next year? Okay, so do you think that David De Gea has been a victim of his own success in carrying United? He's only conceded two goals in his last seven, and people are already on firing, uh, you know, people are firing at, about him and his, his drop play. Uh, yes, he's had some some blunders, but uh, is it or, or do we think he's worse because we're holding him to such a high standard based on what we saw two years ago? And how does this factor in when you remember that Dean Henderson comes back next year? I, I, I think it, that's pretty much spot on. I think the perception of De Gea looking worse is simply because what we know what his old standard was. Um, where he was probably the best goalkeeper in the entire planet, maybe the galaxy. I don't know what they're doing over in Jupiter, but um, you know he's had a, he's had mistakes that have been high profile um, in recent months and the last year, and I think that's why all of a sudden the microscope's going up on him because I think um, he set the bar so high because we know what the defense was like when he was playing out of his mind, and now with the defense being better, all of a sudden there's that disconnect of why all of a sudden is he letting these goals and then he shouldn't. And then what doesn't help out. And it's always that, uh, backup quarterback, uh, conversation right now. Dean Henderson is, is playing pretty well for Sheffield United and he is our player that's on loan. So then the question is, is David De Gea making too much money? Do we get rid of him? We've got Dean Henderson. He's England's future. Number one, all that, you know, crap that, everybody drums up on social media and, and, and regular media. And so I think, I think that's just why the conversation around David De Gea has gotten toxic. And I'm just urge everybody to remember for every bad, bad goal he's given up, he's still making like 10 incredible saves. So let's, let, let's not be so quick to take him out back and, you know, shoot the horse with a broken leg here. Yeah. I think there's a couple of factors at play here. Um, and I do want to mention that uh, one of our newest writers wrote on this uh, earlier this week, uh, Suede uh, Fazal, 
and I've, I haven't had a chance to speak with him or interact with him yet, but he wrote a really good, thoughtful Come piece on the pod. On, yeah, the statistical comparison between Dean Henderson and De Gea this season. And his, to sum it up, his result was kind of that their errors and or their, their play when they make these errors are pretty similar. And what he would do is to keep De Gea and loan out Dean Henderson for another year. And I'm kind of of that thought process as well. One, because I think goalkeeper competitions can have really varying results in terms of confidence uh, for both players. It doesn't necessarily inspire the same sort of competition as it would with another position where you could even maybe see two players play on the field at the same time. There's such a high amount of stress on goalkeeper that it's something you're playing a really risky game with mentality-wise. Another thing is... De Gea just signed a massive contract. Yeah. And That's it, a realistic part of it. Yeah. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's, he's the highest paid goalkeeper in the world. And you don't hand somebody money like that unless you plan to keep him around for a while. Um, or you meant to still buy him. Yeah. And third, I don't think that De Gea has played bad enough to warrant that sort of questioning of his starter position at Manchester United. I think that his mistakes are starting to stick out more, and he's definitely not in the same sort of form that we saw in 2017-2018, but as we saw against Spurs, he'll still produce those really incredible acrobatic saves that you need a goalkeeper to make if you're going to play with the defense that Manchester United has. To complicate the question a little bit, and this, I guess maybe we can bring Polly in for that one, do you think also he's taking a little bit more shit now because of how goalkeeping has... Uh, evolved where you see guys like Allison and Ederson who they're able to start to play up and they're a lot no pressure for them. Yeah, they're 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 a lot better at distribution, whereas, you know, De Gea's distribution has been called into question too. I wonder do you guys think that affects it at all either with the the perception of how De Gea is performing now? No, because we play out the back. So like his distribution doesn't have he doesn't have to pick out a midfielder or something. It just he's he's gotta go to his center backs and and his fullbacks. It's it's pretty simple. I, I think we're being, I don't, I think we're being too harsh on him, but we, we, we're not being undeserved. It's not undeservedly harsh. Like maybe right. we're being a little bit too harsh because like, like I brought up earlier, the, the PSXG and minus GA, he is at the bottom of average in the Premier League this year. His form has not been great. Um, and, you know, should United have, like, the 13th or 14th best goalkeeper in the in the league? Probably not. So, like, to say that his, his form hasn't merited dropping him, uh, you know, if you had an alternative to, to put him in, I, I wouldn't not, you know, I, it's not something I'd rule out. It's obvious that Sergio Romero, you could call upon him. He doesn't need to play games. You just. As soon as there's a cup game, you you call upon him and he's fine to step in, but he's not the guy that's pushing him uh, because his form has has been dropping for for two years. Um, mother, I just lost my train of thought. One twenty five. Holly loses train of thought. Mother. All right. Yeah, no, all right, no, I, I got more. Um, so, yeah, so he's, he's made some some high-quality mistakes. Um, but, yeah, like Nathan said, he's 
he, he, we can't sell him. We can't get rid of him because he's not going anywhere. Nobody could afford him. The only way to get rid of him is basically if he's going to leave on his own accord. And what Colin said is – what Colin was talking about with the goalkeeper competitions and how you don't know how they're going to play out, I would still bring Dean Henderson back next year and – not so much have a competition. De Gea would still be the number one. and But I wouldn't call Dean Henderson the number two. I wouldn't call Dean Henderson 1A, but maybe like 1B. Um, so you let him play in the cup games. Uh, you let him play in, I'd say maybe, you know, if we're in the Champions League, four of the six group stage games. Maybe not the first one or two. Um and you let him play in the FA in the FA Cup games because Solskjaer's right. You know, there is a difference between being the goalkeeper at Sheffield and being the goalkeeper at Manchester United. But I think if you if you look back to the 2008 season when we won the double, Thomas Kuchak played in five Champions League games and nine Premier League games. Now, part of that was Edmund van der Sar had injuries. Uh, he came on as a sub a few times, which was yeah. weird, uh, like on several <laughs> occasions, actually. But Sir also, Alex also liked to do that. He yeah. kind of liked to give his goalkeeper a break. But he also like, just came on and played a game. Like the way that, uh, and excuse the cross-sport reference, but like the way that you just give your backup goalie a game in hockey here and there, Kuchak would play in the Premier League. Uh, like he just he'd start a game and it was like that the following year, too. And I think you could do that with Dean Henderson, too, is if you give him seven or eight Premier League starts, that means De Gea is playing 30 games plus the Champions League game, plus the Champions League. Um, you let him play maybe the later rounds of the FA Cup or something. Then it, all of a sudden that's all right. So now Dean Henderson has been exposed, but there's also that element of. In De Gea's bat, there's someone pushing De Gea. Is if I don't perform, this guy's going to take my spot, uh, which that currently doesn't exist. And when you say goalkeeper competitions can get or like can get a little dicey because you don't know how they're going to react and mentally there's so much strain. I don't think Dean Henderson is under that strain because Dean Henderson comes in and says, "I'm the number two. I want to win my spot. I want to make the England team." He could play just as freely. You know, we're not we're not pulling a Ben Foster where we're all of a sudden being like, hey, you're the number one now. It's mm-hmm. he's getting his chance to earn it, but if he doesn't, like he's playing in the more low stakes game. If De Gea falters and, and wilters, well, then you have Dean Henderson. So, yeah. and and that and and in that case, Dean Henderson comes in because De Gea's form is merits it. So. That's what I would do. And that at least gives you a year where, you know, Dean Henderson can play 18 to 20 games next year while De Gea still is number one and you're pushing him. In. And after a year, you reevaluate and you say, well, De Gea is still our number one because he earned it. Or you look and you say, look, Dean Henderson was better than you and we're going to give him a shot next year. And if De Gea says, I want to be the number one, he'll take a pay cut to leave. Yep. So Dean Henderson, he'll be our Philip Grubauer next year. Got it. Uh, who was who was back 
back up to Henrik Lundqvist when Henrik Lundqvist stopped being Henrik Lundqvist. The king? Oh, well, that was this year, and that oh that that was ugly because we had we had Gorgiev who was playing well, but the plan was to trade Gorgiev, and he played well enough to avoid that. But coming over from Russia, we had uh, Shesterkin, who like has lost like five games in his professional career and came into the NHL and immediately was as awesome as we thought he would be. And now we have three goals. Actually, you know what? Grubauer is probably not a good comp because Grubauer was good enough to replace Braden Holtby. Cavs didn't want to replace Braden Holtby. So they sent Grubauer to uh, Colorado Avalanche. So maybe that's not Dean Henderson. better comparison is Cam Talbot. There you go. Colin is so out of his element right now. I know Lundquist. <laughs> oh, Chesterkin's the Chesterkin. Uh, Longquist is the king. Then they were debating whether to call Chesterkin the prince or the czar. He didn't <laughs> just come in and say, "I'm the god of New York." He doesn't speak a lot of English, but and and he was very humble coming in. And you can't just do you're you know he's not Zlatan where he's gonna be like, "Oh, Cantona, I'm I'm the new king." Uh, he came in and said, "I recognize that Henrik Longquist is the god here." Uh, but he just put on his mask and played and didn't let the puck go in the net. So, you know, it became very evident very quickly who the number one was. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so uh, we are going to wrap up now. Uh, if we did not get to your question, uh, we are doing another episode this week, so we may get to it then. Um, but we are just kind of running out of time, so we don't have time to get to everyone's this week. Uh, so Might stay tuned. I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned probably Thursday night for that next episode uh, and hit us up with your questions uh, tomorrow after the Sheffield United game. Um, if you have anything topical af- immediately after the game on your mind that you want to get off. Did Colin die? <laughs> yeah, we lost Colin there for about uh, 10 seconds. Oh, am I back? Yeah, yeah. you're back. Uh, well, I've been Colin. <laughs> I'm Polly. And hey, with da- David De Gea, remember, water always finds its level. I'm Nathan. <laughs> Except it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>